Hi there, this is Mary Jordan, reporter with the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. I'm joined in the studio today by Bobby C. Martin, an artist from West Salem Springs, and Bonnie Barnes, the assistant manager of the Museum of Native American History in Bentonville, as well as Macy Henley, the museum's cultural outreach director. Thank you so much for joining us today, everybody. I sure do appreciate your being here. Thanks for asking. Yeah, thanks for having us. Uh, this is one of several podcasts that we're doing right now in regards to a series of stories that we're getting ready to run on diversity. Uh, this one in particular involves the Native American population in Northwest Arkansas, as well as somewhat in Oklahoma, because we'd be remiss to not talk a little bit about that. Bobby mm-hmm. Bean is you're from West Salem Springs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we just kind of want to start by just having you guys introduce yourselves a little bit and tell us a little bit about your work, Bobby and Mona. Okay? Go ahead, Bobby. Why don't you tell us a little bit about um, your work as an artist in your medium? Okay, well, yeah, I'm a citizen of the Muscogee Creek Nation. I have been a native artist. Well, I've been an artist for um, probably around almost 30 years now, professionally. Uh, Also, my day job is teaching art at uh, John Brown University in Salem Springs. Uh, And and most of the art that I do involves identity, um, identity generally, but also specifically my native identity. Um, so it includes a lot of old family photos that I use of my family, and then also issues surrounding identity like the Dawes Roll uh, names and how that ties into identity and blood quantum and those other kinds of issues. So, so it's, it's mostly boils down to identity, really. Okay, awesome. Um, it, what can you tell us about the Dawes Rolls? That wasn't something I uh, knew a lot about when I first started writing this story. Well, Dawes Rolls were, there was a Dawes Commission created right after the turn of the 20th century, early 1900s. Actually, it started earlier, a little earlier than that, um, in order to condense all the land holdings of the tribes in Indian Territory. There was a, a commission created in Congress and in, in federal uh, government to take a census of all the native tribal people in Indian Territory. And it happened for diff- at different dates for different tribes. For my tribe, it happened around early, like, 1905 or so, right before statehood. Um, and so each, especially what's, what's called then, and still is sometimes called the five civilized tribes um, in eastern Oklahoma, were all a part of this Dawes Commission uh, census-taking. And so each tribal member was assigned a certain amount of acreage, land, and given a title to that land, rather than what was happening before, which was, and has happened for eons, is all tribal land was held in common. And used in common. Um, so the idea was to condense the land holdings by giving individual title to all the native people, including women, children, everybody, <clears throat> which is, you know, the, the idea was to, to open up more settlement uh, land. Uh, of course, it, you know, it did that, but it also caused, you know, caused other issues too, some good, some bad. You know, some, a lot of, lot of land was <clears throat> been swindled out of of, of families, um, and a lot of it was sold. You know, I, I, the, the, the allotment land for our our family uh, is still there's still a few acres remaining, and my mom actually has a little bit of that land, and I have some cousins that still live on that land. But anyway, that's that's basically what the Dawes Rolls was. It was uh, the rolls themselves were a census roll. Um, the Dawes Act and the Dawes Commission were the ones that that then undertook the the job of. of kind of breaking up those tribal lands. Okay, thank you for sharing that with us. Um, Bonnie, what can you tell us about the Museum of Native American History? 
Um, well, I'm fairly new. I just started in September, but um, I have my bachelor's degree in history, and I'm working on my master's in Native American leadership right now. And my main goal is to educate people um, about Native American history and culture and preserve those traditions where we can. And I think that's the the general outlook for the Museum of Native American History is, you know, we want to include everybody. We want everyone to be able to come learn from everything, from the past and the present. We have lots of um, artists that come up now, you know, that, that come do workshops and, and teach kids and adults how to do, uh, you know, different things and preserve that that uh, history and culture. You know, we have we have a lady coming in February that's going to, teach people how to make um, fibers like textiles like the natives did um, pre-contact. And we have a Cherokee guy coming in January who's going to do moccasin making. So, you know, we just, and and people, all of these things are free. And we want people to just come learn from that and, and appreciate it. So. Wow, that's really awesome, and it's free too. Mm-hmm. Okay. All free. That really does help with accessibility, I yeah. imagine. Yeah, because we we want to include everyone. And um, Macy, how is cultural outreach a significant aspect of what the museum's doing? Um, well, when it comes down to it, we we see ourselves more as um, you know more than a museum. We are a living history. You know, one of the things that we take upon ourselves is through our artifacts is to show the diversity of the first people of Americas, all the way from Alaska down to Chile, from coast to coast. But a lot of people forget that, you know, those people are still here, not just surviving, but thriving today. They have their culture, they have their language, and if not, they're working to get it. They're working to reclaim their history. So cultural outreach for me, a big part is bringing that, um, bringing those artists, those presenters, those speakers, those authors to the museum so they can show people just how they're thriving. Okay. Uh, that's great. Now, um, Bobby, you were saying that um, family photos had a significant aspect in your work. What can you tell us a little bit about your medium and how you incorporate those in your work? Well, I've, tr- I've tried just about every possible way to make art out of old photos <laughs> over the years. I started, I'm a printmaker primarily, um, etching and uh, different kinds of um, like linoleum and woodcuts and those kind of things, but also even doing more kind of uh, modern types of things like doing photo etchings. You can take the old photos and actually transfer them onto a metal plate and ink them up and print them on a hand press, just Mm -hmm. like Rembrandt did, Uh, but yet you're using like digital files. So I love that combination of old and new technology. Um, A lot of the stuff I do involves layering, and, and for me, layering... It's also it's layering information like Dawes roll names with photographs and other information like uh, you know scripture and Muscogee language and all these other bits and pieces of information. But then physical layering also involves like wax, like encaustic wax, which is you know, the art term for beeswax is encaustic, and you just layer, you just actually use this hot wax and you can layer material on it. And so I use that a lot. And there's something something that adds age to it and it, my stuff is not about the past necessarily. It's it's old family photos, but I also, like Macy was saying, uh, I'm also about the, the present too. We're still here, you know. We're still making art. We're still trying to keep our languages alive. Um, we're still thriving and very active. And so part of part of my 
goal with the old family photos is trying to also show, you know, this is this is my history, my personal history, but it's also um, a history that's that's a part of a bigger story that's still ongoing. Yeah, and in researching this article, what I discovered was, and through the help of folks such as yourself, that there's been somewhat of a misrepresentation of the Native American population in art. What can you guys share with me about that misrepresentation and some of the barriers that's created for the population? And do we want to let the artist speak on that first? <laughs> Misre- misrepresentation in what way? Well, we had talked, and you were saying when you were first really exploring art, you were discovering that there was a lot of art of um, Native Americans on buffaloes and the plains, blankets shouldered over, you know, sh- blankets and over their shoulders, yeah. things of that nature. Well, well, there's always been, not just in art, but in movies and just broader culture, um, sort of hard and fast stereotypes of what people think of when they think of Native Americans. And I, I think that's changing. I think work that Mona and other folks are doing is helping that. Um, so, yeah, a lot of that is just, just kind of trying to break down those stereotypes that have, you know, through Hollywood and through all kinds of other kind of public media has, has made people think of certain things when they think of Native Americans. You know, in Indian country, which is Oklahoma now, uh, there's, you know, 39 different federally recognized tribes, and every one of them have a different history and a different culture. Yeah, the, some of the eastern tribes did hunt buffalo. Not eastern, I'm sorry. Some of the western Oklahoma tribes, you know, uh, that was part of their their history. But for, like, the tribes on the eastern side, like Creeks and Cherokees and Seminoles and, and Chickasaws and Choctaws and other tribes that are more from the southeastern part of the United States originally, uh, that's a totally different background, totally different history, and a lot of people don't know that, even today. Uh, I think I think some of those stereotypes are, people are more aware of them now, but I think there's still a lot of the, that, and that shows up, you know, all over the place in art and sports and <laughs> wherever you want to look, you see those kind of stereotypes that, you know, you, you hope people are, are getting educated about that that's not, you know, Native, Native people aren't some one monolithic culture group. Right, right. And, you know, and speaking of that diversity, what does our population in Northwest Arkansas look like for uh, Native Americans? On that one, I think the last statistics that I saw was put out by the city of Bentonville. Um, I think it was less than 1% of those living in Northwest Arkansas were Native American. But that was those who were officially surveyed. Um, Personally, I know a lot of Natives who live in this area, and I don't know how that chalks up statistic-wise. But... I think when, when people think about Native Americans living in Northwest Arkansas, that misrepresentation comes in because they're expecting people who look like Native Americans from 200 years ago <laughs> and not, you know, what, were you, what do we look like today? You know, who are we today? Because um, there are a lot of us here in the area, and it's up to us to tell the truth and to share the story of authenticity and let people know how diverse we are. And so... In talking about some of these stereotypes, what are they and how are they still negatively impacting the Native American population? When most people think of a Native American, the image that is going to pop into their head is a man on horseback, he's shirtless, he's got a big headdress on, he's in a field, the wind is blowing. Um, 
which has an element of truth to it. But at the same time, that period didn't last, like, in the whole grand scheme of things, that period was only about 100 years, and that's what people hung on to. And that's what they hung on to for a few tribes. They didn't consider, um, you know, what about the tribes from Alaska? What about the tribes from California? What about from Maine? You know, they're drastically different. But there's a lack of authentic education out there to teach people about the real diversity behind it. So those stereotypes are perpetuated because there's not a lot of people around to speak the truth. Okay, so how does art help speak that truth then and educate the community on what the Native American population actually looks like and is striving to become? I use art through the museum. Um, you know, we have a program called Creative Visions where once a month we bring in a different artist to teach a traditional or modern art form, but they explain the significance of it to their people, to themselves. Um, and what that does is that strips back the stereotype and we're able to look at how did that come into play? How did we get that idea? And what is the real idea? Where was that disconnect? And through exploring that disconnect, you're creating a better understanding, um, which I think is one of the most important things. And what would you say the real idea is? It's whatever the artist believes, their people, their tribe. Um, it's, it's your version of your truth um, for that. I don't know. That was, do you want to answer that? You've got a better answer for that one. <laughs> no, I know I, it. I think that's good. I, I, I think, you know, you're... Your goal for the museum of showing these other stories is the important thing. You know, that there are so many stories out there that are native stories, but they're not part of the sort of this big stereotypical mm -hmm. uh, thought pattern, I guess. You know, for me, it is about telling my story, but also telling, hopefully, you know, other people's stories that were similar to mine. Like, you know, that's one reason I use the whole family photos is because... Yes, it's particularly my family, but it's also a lot of other families that, that were in the same part of Oklahoma. I grew up and still am involved with um, Indian Baptist churches, you know, and, you know, so Christianity is a big part of my kind of background as a Native person, and that's still a big part of the culture of a lot of areas in, in Indian territory or in Oklahoma. So that's another, you know, there's all these different threads of people's stories that were still Native people. But we may, we don't all fit that stereotype. Yeah. Very, very few people actually fit. I mean, stereotypes happen for a reason, obviously, because they're sort of propagated over, over lots of time and lots of repetition. Um, and so just being able to kind of break through with those stereotypes is what kind of ultimately, hopefully, gets people to realize, oh, well, there's other stories out there, too, you know. And I, so I appreciate folks like, uh, like Mona and, and other and I think it's helping uh, museums are, are opening up to telling these other stories. And that's, that's really, that's really important. Yeah. And thanks for that, because that was actually a perfect segue into what I was hoping to talk about next was what some of our local museums were doing. Um, Bobby, as I understand it, you sit on an advisory board at Crystal Bridges that helps um, encourage diversity within the art that's displayed in the region. We, um, I was on an uh, advisory board when they reinstalled their early American uh, galleries because mm -hmm. they wanted to be specifically more inclusive to not just Native stories, but to all non-Western or you know, colonial stories. Because when, when they first put it in, the first thing you saw was all these portraits of the little colonial kids. And I mean, they were, they were kind of classic 
portraits, but they were very much about colonizers. <laughs> and there was very little sort of um, other stories being told. And so they did want to start telling other stories that were just as important and also just uh, they were they're going along parallel with, with sort of the history books you read. There's lots of other histories <laughs> happening at that time. And so that's that was my role was just kind of hopefully be a, a seat at the table to give a little some voice to the native story and there were there was pretty they actually had multiple advisory boards one board board was just to help the native voice and the native history side of things or not not history but just native experience mm -hmm. um, and then I think they had you know uh, the black every every sort of person of color group that was involved in art history I think they wanted to get their voice involved which I think made a difference because now when you go in the first thing you see is all these these people of color, whether they're in the paintings or whether they're artists themselves. So it, it, I think they've, and they've tried to tell a, a, a fuller picture of early American history than what you typically see in, in a lot of museums. Great. And then what about Mona? How are you guys kind of flipping the narrative through the work that you're doing for um, contemporary Native American art? Um, well, <clears throat> we bring in a lot of artists, like we were talking about, and, and artisans and authors and, you know, just all different types of art forms um, every month. And then we have a big uh, Native American cultural celebration once a year. And that one's pretty huge. This year we brought in Wes Studi, you know, and, and he's always tried to, you know, take roles where he can accurately, you know, kind of grab, you know, help people see accurate pictures of, of different Native American cultures, you know, and, and avoid the stereotypes. And um, We promote that within, too, um, in, in our exhibits, you know, and the things that we display. And people come in, and, and they're just amazed that all the, the different artifacts that we have in there from all over, they, they, one of the first questions we always get asked is, what tribe, you know, do y'all represent here? <laughs> and we're like, well... You know, all of them that we can, it's, you know, we, we want to really broaden people's horizons when they, they come in and, and, and accurately display as many different nations as we can. And why are these valuable conversations for us to be having right now? Why? Yes. Um, I... I'm pretty young, um, I'll say that right off the bat, but I've noticed that not a lot of people are having these conversations. Having gone through the school system and ex having like personal experience with the education, um, you know, I haven't seen these conversations being had about my people, my experience, m relatives from other nations. Um, so it's really important for us to be sitting down, you know, here in the Northwest Arkansas uh, Democrat Gazette here having this conversation on a podcast where other people can listen, where they're not here to be included in it, but they can learn and they can go out and they can start this conversation with somebody else. They can spread this message and right back to it, we can show that Native America is still thriving. Well, and, yeah, and well, well, please go on. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll second that too. Yeah. And I think the, the importance of it is because especially in Northwest Arkansas, and I've noticed this living on the border and grew up in Tahlequah. And so I was sort of, Kind of took it for granted that everybody knew about the stories of removal and all the history and, and the ongoing 
um, histories of Native people, but it wasn't until I started working in, like, well, at first going to grad school at U of A and then just being on the, you know, the borderline, <laughs> realizing that a lot of those histories, a lot of that knowledge stops at the state line. And so I think that, to me, is why the stories need to really be told in this area, because I think for lots of reasons, those, that, those, a lot of those histories and those stories and those people or just now maybe getting into this Northwest Arkansas area. Okay. Oh, please go on. I experienced that a lot, too. Um, I was born in Durant, Oklahoma, the Choctaw Nation, you know. And, uh, you know, it's very common down there. But we moved to Northwest Arkansas when I was very young. And I wasn't raised with my Choctaw family. And so I wasn't raised around the culture. It wasn't until I was an adult and I chose to go back and start, you know, researching it because I wasn't raised being taught here. I mean, it's just a few hours away, but like you said, just across the border in mm-hmm. Siloam, I mean, it's it's like two different worlds. I mean, it's just not taught around here. So it, help us understand a little bit more. Where does that stem from? Why does the Native American population get so much smaller when you cross the border from Oklahoma into Arkansas? I think a lot of that might have to do with funding. Personally, I would have moved back to the Cherokee Nation within their borders by now, except that I'm in school and working, because there are all sorts of different assistance programs. There's more culture there, you know, family there, um, versus living here. Um, I don't know. It's very different. Very different. Typically, Native people are pretty, very sort of community and community-minded, family-minded, so they don't, we don't tend to necessarily move way off very often, but, but, you know, people do. There was a relocation program back in the 50s and 60s that tried to force uh, Native people to move into these big urban areas, and um, so that's why you still see pockets of Native people in, in bigger cities sometimes, but generally, at least in Oklahoma, in my experience, you know, you don't, you don't move away from your, your hometown all that much. Um, and if you do, what happens is, and part of the yeah, part of the funding you're talking about, because tribes do provide a lot of um, resources and a lot of um, different kinds of benefits for their tribal members, their tribal citizens. Um, those don't reach into out of state, you know. So the so the benefits stop at the state line. So that's that's probably a lot of it too. There's, you 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 would you couldn't. I mean, I could live in I could live in Arkansas. But I would still have to drive back to Tahlequah, say, if I wanted to go uh, to the hospital, or you know, or go to my tribal headquarters, which is even farther away. I think a lot of it is just the, the logistics of it. Mm-hmm. And what's led to there being such a large population of Native Americans in Oklahoma versus Northwest Arkansas? <laughs> well, that's where they they settled when they were removed. I think um, was probably the one of the biggest reasons they just stayed there. Sure. What well, can you guys tell us a little bit more about the removal and the Trail of Tears and, and what exactly that's meant? And we need about four or five more hours. <laughs> and, uh, you guys, you're the, you're the historian. Uh, well, <laughs> um, you know, I think one of the most common misconceptions maybe that I got, um, I interned at the, at Pea Ridge Military Park um, a couple years back and um, people would come up and ask us about the Trail of Tears because we had a marker over there. And I think um, a lot of people are are under the impression that the Trail of Tears was one trail (laughs) that just came over and settled in Oklahoma. 
But, um, you know, we, we tried to explain to people a lot that there were many. I mean, they branched off to different areas. They were just removed, you know, from where they were and, and, and taken to more of the western half of the country. But, you know, it wasn't just Oklahoma. I mean, some of them went north, and there's Trail of Tears is, is not just a single trail. It, it goes all over. I think that was, that was a big question we got a lot, I think. Yeah, and I know the name speaks quite a bit into it, but why is it called the Trail of Tears? Well, I mean, they were uprooted, and, you know, things were, you know, their families were displaced, and um, their homes and their land was, was taken, you know. They, they all lived on the land and, and shared it and, and lived off of it and loved it, and, and, you know, it was kind of ripped out from under them, I mean. And, and in most cases, they, they were, I mean, they, they were, all the tribes had uh, educational systems established. They had plantations. I mean, they were, they were probably more well developed culturally than the, the settlers that wanted to take their land. And so that was part of it too. It was you know they were they they already had a very well established mm-hmm. um, homeland and culture that was you know the federal government decided that well. You guys need, we need this, we need this land, and so we're going to force you guys. And, and it was, you know, it's the other thing, misconception that I hear a lot about Trail of Tears is, you know, that's a much, it's a Cherokee thing because we're, I mean, we're closest to the <laughs> Cherokees, and there were many, many tribes mm-hmm. that was, especially in the southeastern United States, that ended up, and then you had a lot of then removals from, from Plains, northern and southern Plains tribes that ended up in Oklahoma, so it became sort of as as the tribal um, lands and, and removals kept forcing tribes more and more to Indian territory, it ended up kind of being the, I want to say, I say the dumping ground, and that's true, but yet it's, it's been ultimately uh, kind of a, a great thing for, for us, I think, uh, to all be in this spot together. I think another thing, too, is, like, it was the actual move itself was devastating right. to the populations. I mean, so many died along the way. Just, I mean, it, it wiped out a lot of people. And that was that was pretty devastating. Yeah, thank you for sharing that with us. I didn't want to assume that listeners understood that history. Mm-hmm. Um, so is there an element of recovery for the Native American population that still exists today uh, from that removal? Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that's there's there's been a recovery for the last 175 years or however long it's been. Is that right? Yeah, it's a long time. <laughs> so there's been a, a recovery over that whole period, uh, and even today, there's there's still uh, a reality of you know removal. And reestablishing a whole culture in a different place, um, and I don't know. I don't know how much. I mean, there's what's that thing? The call where you, the generations uh, are traumatized by previous generations. Generational trauma. Yeah, generational trauma. I'm sure that's. A, I mean, I'm sure that's a real thing. But I think tribal people are very resilient, and so that's. I think in a lot of ways that's made. A lot of the tribal people and governments and cultures stronger just just that fight for you know survival, whether it's survival of the language, survival of, of 
tradition on those things. Is that reflected in your work at all as an artist? I hope so. You know, just that the fact that that I'm still here and people, mm -hmm. these ladies are still here <laughs> and we're trying to tell these stories is, I hope, is a testament to, you know, yes, all this horrible history happened, but we're still here, we're still thriving and trying to, you know, make, make not just make ourselves heard, but make, you know, make life better for, for all those that are going to come after us, too. Oh, wonderful. And then, so how do we continue the momentum and keep having these conversations in a responsible way through art? I think that's what we're all trying to do, you know, with our jobs. I mean, it's, we're encouraging that. And, and I've seen a, a pickup of, you know, in my lifetime, you know, I'm 34, and, and there was a long stretch where I don't remember hearing anything about Native American history or art. And, you know, in the last several years, I've, I've seen a lot of it, you know, coming out. I think social media helps with that, you know, because it's easier to share things. And um, I, But I, I think that that's what we're all here for, you know, is the, the three of us. Anyway, we're, we're trying to, to bring it back into the light for people and, and really put a spotlight on a lot of these artists and, and, and their work and what they can teach people, you know, through it. And what do you guys hope the ripple effects of this will be over time? I hope that it keeps going and growing. <laughs> I think the opportunity has certainly increased in just my 25 or so years of being involved with, with Native art. Opportunities, especially for contemporary artists, has really kind of blossomed in my experience with the, you know, with the help of museums and art centers and, and, and places that are seeing that native art is not just you know this traditional thing that was done you know centuries ago but it's still there's still living artists mm -hmm. that are making really vital art and so that the opportunities to show that art is a big deal you know and I think that's something that I've it's been it's been available in other parts of the country for a while, you know, contemporary native art, you know, in the Southwest and other places. But I think it's it's fairly recent that it's happening, you know, around this part of the country. And I think I think in a lot of cases, you know, native indigenous artists are really driving driving the the movement of just contemporary art in generally. You know, in Tulsa, there's a lot of big native scene what you guys are doing and I would say Crystal Bridges you know last year had a big contemporary native show uh, art for a new understanding and there are other museums across the country that are starting to get on board <laughs> that's seeing that these you know these these contemporary native artists are really saying some important things I mentioned it has to be pretty hopeful for you guys to get um, a more accurate and modern narrative out there for the Native American population yeah, that's, that's what our goal is. <laughs> All right. Well, um, you guys have shared a wealth of information with us today, and I truly appreciate it. Is there any particular thing that you guys want to touch on or you want to add to the conversation that we haven't mentioned? I want to say thank you for doing this research, for doing this article, for having us here. Um, you know, it's really important to have allies that are starting these conversations and that are here to, to learn and to help. Um, so thank you for elevating that and hopefully starting the next conversation.
Oh, well, it, it's been a joy, honestly. And, and I was sharing earlier that, honestly, I, I'm fairly new to Northwest Arkansas. Um, so this series has been an opportunity for me to learn so much about my neighbors that I just, I, mm -hmm. I didn't know. Um, so thank you for that. Because honestly, we can't do our job unless folks like yourself are willing to talk with us, right? So thank you very much. I appreciate all of your time and for you being here and joining us today. It's been a wonderful experience. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.